0: In the middle of a revolution Because I see The face of things to come Yes, I do Oh, your constitution Well, my friend It's gonna have to bend I'm here to tell you about The destruction Of all the evil it will have
1: Coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis, this is Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford, and we start out Socialist News and Views with the news, and in this case, bringing you The news stories, the murder by police of Dante Wright and the ongoing trial of Derek Chauvin who was caught by multiple cameras murdering George Floyd. In the second half of the show, we will talk with Lacey, a South Minneapolis activist, about activism burnout, the Stop Line 3 protests, and getting involved over at George Floyd Square. A note, that interview was recorded on April 2nd before the killing of Dante Wright. And now to the news. On April 9th, Mel Reeves has an article on the Minneapolis spokesman recorder entitled Day 10 of Chauvin Trial. Restraint was more than Floyd's heart could take, says medical examiner. The article says that the prosecution called Dr. Baker reluctantly because, quote, he did not seem to be playing for the home team, end quote. Quote, under normal circumstances, the county medical examiner's office works hand in glove with the county prosecutor's office, end quote. In this case, they first called a retired Hennepin County medical examiner who had trained Dr. Baker, forensic pathologist Dr. Lindsay Thomas. Dr. Thomas testified that, Quote, the video evidence shows Floyd in a position where he was unable to adequately breathe, end quote. Dr. Thomas had also ruled out cardiac arrest, methamphetamine, and fentanyl as causes of death, according to the article. But the article says, quote, Baker was the subject of early controversy in the Floyd case when he wrote in his report explaining the cause of death that Floyd died from a fentanyl overdose and could have just as easily have died sitting on his couch at home, end quote. The article notes that Baker, quote, waffled quite a bit when asked his opinion about where Derek Chauvin's knee was on Floyd's body, end quote. Most of the rest of the day was spent cross-examining Baker, who, quote, appeared to be shying away from making definitive statements, end quote. Baker claimed confidently that Floyd had made it alive to the hospital when multiple previous testimonies made it clear this was not the case. He also claimed that an enlarged heart had contributed to George Floyd's death. April 12th, an article appears on Unicorn Riot. The article is titled, Protests erupt in Brooklyn Center After Police Kill Dante Wright. The article says that after the killing on Sunday afternoon, quote, Hundreds gathered near 63rd Avenue North and Lee Avenue North calling for justice, end quote. Later on, it says the protest moved to the Brooklyn Center Police Station at 6645 North Humboldt Avenue. It goes on, quote, Police forces fired volleys of OC gas canisters, triple chasers, and flashbangs repeatedly. In the minutes leading up to midnight, police demanded the crowds disperse and a group of state patrol officers turned up. An article on Liberation News is entitled, Ahead of Chauvin Verdict, Minnesota Police Shock World with Murder of Dante Wright. The article by Matt Hermes on April 12th says, quote, Despite intense police and National Guard repression, protests have continued demanding justice... 4 20-year-old black Minnesota resident, Dante Wright, end quote. The article says Wright was killed on April 11th, and the police pulled he and his girlfriend over for the, quote, outrageous pretext, end quote, that they had air fresheners dangling from their rearview mirror. The article goes on to say of Kim Potter, the officer who killed Wright, quote, this is a case of a cop knowing she is guilty and trying to lie her way out of murdering a young black man, end quote. The article says there is no way to confuse a taser and a gun and says the mainstream media is already trying to, quote, excuse Potter. The article continues by saying, quote, many hundreds of community members hit the streets on both Sunday and Monday night. The state has once again responded to the righteous anger of the people with naked militarized repression. Since Sunday night, the order of the day has been curfews, pepper spray, and tear gas by police, coupled with the intimidating presence of heavily armed National Guard troops, end quote. The article ends by saying people will stay out on the streets until killer cops are, quote, fired, arrested, charged, convicted, and incarcerated for their crimes against black youth, end quote. As we know, curfews have continued to be applied almost immediately and very suddenly when BIPOC are upset and grieving a death in the community. And now we go to a speech by Alexandra Kolontai, recorded on Gramophone, I believe, somewhere around 1919. Uh, The audio was pulled from the Marxist Internet Archives. Uh, originally translated by Mikita, uh Czajkanovich and Andy Blunden, and the translation is read over the speech by Laura
2: Lomax. Comrades, women workers. For many centuries, woman was oppressed and had no rights. For many centuries, she was just an appendage to the man, his shadow. The husband provided for his wife so long as she obeyed her husband's will, meekly endured her own powerlessness, her own domestic and family slavery. The October Revolution liberated women. Now the peasant woman has the same rights as the peasant man. The woman worker has the same rights the male worker has. Everywhere, the woman can vote and everywhere she can become a member of a Soviet
0: or a commissar
2: or even a people's commissar. But while according to the law, a woman has the same rights as a man does, life hasn't liberated woman. The woman worker and the peasant woman are still in the clutch of a household still a slave in their own land. The task of the workers now is to adjust life so as to relieve the burden of childcare from a woman's shoulders and to make household work easier. The working class is interested in the liberation of women in these fields. The working class should understand that the woman is a member of the same proletarian family as the man because the woman is working as well as the man. One third of the wealth on the earth is created by women. There are 70 million women workers in Europe and America. In communist society, a woman and a man must be equal. Without equality of women and men, there is no communism. Go to work comrades, working women, liberate yourselves build nurseries, maternity houses, help the Soviets set up public canteens, help the Communist Party build a new happy life. Your place is among those who are fighting for the emancipation of working people, for equality, for freedom, for the happiness of your children. Your place, working women and peasant women, is under the red revolutionary banner of worldly victorious communism.
1: And now we're back. Before we go to the interview, we will go to a short musical break This is uterine industrialization by Welsh death metal band Venom Prison, which is fronted by Larissa Stupar. And the music is louder than the previous audio, so if you're on headphones and you don't like loud music, you might want to turn it down slightly. Here you go. (laughs) Oh <laughs> So on Socialist News and Views, we let people introduce themselves. So tell us who you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm
3: Lacey. Um, I live in South Minneapolis, actually, right around the corner from, from Nick. I've been living in Minnesota for going on, geez, six years now. And I, you know, I've lived all over. I've lived in the South. I've lived on the West Coast. Um, I'm here in Minnesota, I think, to stay for the long haul, and uh, I've gotten pretty pretty heavily involved with um, some, you know, activism on the Minnesota side, um, <laughs> things. That's,
1: that's, that's awesome. So, in full disclosure, Lacey and I have been friends now for some time, and from my perspective, it seems like you've been getting more politically active and involved in movements lately. That's mostly just going on uh, Facebook and stuff. Is that accurate? And if so... Tell us what you've
3: been up to. Yeah, well, so I would say that's partly accurate. Um, I actually, I would say what's what's the most accurate way of saying it is I have re-engaged lately to levels that I used to be at of political activism and um, social justice movements. I, um, you know, I started out in the South and you know, got heavily involved in in uh, you know Occupy Wall Street and lots of different uh, campaigns and and um, movements down there. Right. When I moved to Portland, Oregon, I um, took part in quite a lot of um, activist movements. And um, m- moving along to Minnesota, I you know I've, I've ri- I. I kind of had a hiatus where I, I think I felt a little bit of burnout, which I think is common.
1: Yeah what did what did you get up to in Portland? Just out of curiosity.
3: In Portland, I did, wow, I did a lot of different uh, movements there. I one I was pretty heavily involved in food not bombs, so I was going. I sometimes went up to Seattle to help with it, and I did it around Portland too. Um, you know, we we. We need a food not bombs here. We've got Sisters Camelot picking up the slack where we don't have um a more organized uh effort to get food out to folks and you know lots of different um community sources. but food not bombs was i think a a pretty good organization um as far as getting like pretty widely distributing free food
1: yeah, I used to see them here, but you know that was more at the height of the anti war movement so you you said you said you got kind of burned out then you got reengaged just wondering was there um was there something that uh pushed you to get reengaged or something that helped with the burnout or what was the situation there
3: yeah so i you know i i think burnout is common among activists but i think my my burnout kind of uh you know it came from a few different sources it came from you know just life circumstances trying to um you know get job stuff uh secured and relationship things kind of got in the way and um honestly the uprising last summer is what kind of kicked me in the ass and made me think you know what i i really can't just it's a privilege to be able to take time away from activism it's it kind of i confronted this part of myself of like I, i have this privilege to step away and come back as i please and i don't feel like i can do that anymore i feel like i have to you know stay with it stay the course and you know you do things to care for yourself when uh when you're starting to feel that burnout but i think i'm to a point where i i can't see myself taking a hiatus so to speak anymore from activism it might be you know skipping a march here or there or um you know doling out my time based on my uh you know my 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 own needs but i i can't i can't see myself you know taking a break that's as long as it was, especially not when there are people who never get to step away from this. Absolutely. The, the reality is that we're working to, uh, reverse.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the uprising last year. Um, you know, what causes are you most passionate about or most focused on right now?
3: Well, um, Line three, the, uh, the 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 movement to stop Line three has been a pretty central part uh, of my focus in the past few months. Um, over the winter, I got pretty heavily involved with it, and I was going up to Palisade and going to uh, you know marches that were in town and and going up and um, doing actions uh, in Palisade. But um, I. Plan to uh, start, you know, it's a two, two, two and a half hour drive up there. So, you know, you have to find the free weekends and um, once there's a thaw, we're going to start seeing the drilling increasing. So I'm planning to um, really hit the ground running and get up there for longer, maybe longer stretches, camp, you know, camping up there and staying um, at the Welcome Water Protectors site to... um, be, you know be there on the ground as the drilling starts to really take off they're they're going to start trying to drill under the river which is the big you know moment that everyone's really nervous about and um so that that's that's been um really close to my heart uh the past few months um with the with the the uprising last summer you know I've been really heavily involved in the um fight for racial justice and, um, you know, police abolition and, and, um, defunding, you know, Minneapolis police and police nationwide. I've, you know, I, I, I kind of took a, a reversal on my own feelings about that. I, I, in principle, I've never not been opposed to abolishing police or defunding police. I just honestly didn't think it was realistic. I didn't right, think right it was possible I have come 180 degrees from that I think it's fully possible and I'm I see more and more people who think the way I used to think and I'm my my goal is to sort of help work on on their perspective uh you know changing their perspective showing them that there is another way we can do things (laughs) you know that's um it kind of inspired me to uh Consider going to grad school and, and um, studying uh, to be a, a psychologist and hopefully providing some community support. You know, if we have community-driven public safety, I would want to be involved in. You know, maybe being a first responder to folks who need mental health. You know, uh, or experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, or offering, yeah, offering, uh, offering assistance to. Um, you know, pro bono assistance to. People without housing, you know. I want to I want to use my um, services to actually drive home that um, that ultimate goal of getting rid of police as we know it and replacing it with a community, basically restorative justice. You know, that's right, that's right. that's what we have to keep working toward. And a lot of a lot of ground to cover still. Uh, community opinion is not not quite there yet. And I want to help people get there.
1: That's awesome. So, so was there, you mentioned you changed your opinion on if police abolition was possible. Was there, you mentioned that you didn't think it was possible. Was there a moment where you decided, okay, this could happen or could exist, or was it a more gradual process?
3: It's been more gradual, but I would say everything that has come out of the uprising last summer and learning from, you know, people at, you know George Floyd Square and and learning from uh, indigenous people and and communities of color who have been making these arguments for so long and basically white people just say no it's not possible and I I was one of those white people who said it's not possible right. it's it's totally possible <laughs> it's a it's a it's a you know it's it's as big a myth as you know capitalism uh, being the only you know feasible alternative you know feasible route right, we can right. go. There's so many myths that I think, um, you know, I've, I've never, I don't, I've never been a capitalist. I don't, I don't support capitalism in any right, way. Right. I just honestly for the longest time also thought we're just so far entrenched. You're so deeply entrenched in this. There's no way out. Right. I think there are so many myths about being too deeply entrenched and so you know, we gotta work with what we've got, and maybe make it better. Too big to fail. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, I campaigned for Elizabeth Warren last year, and I, you know, I, I, I admire her as a, as a, uh, person, as a, th- a thinker, as a, a, a doer. I really do. But I disagree with her when she says she's a capitalist to her bones, and that bothered me. Right. But I thought, well, you know, she can't. She has. She's got the chutzpah to take on. Uh, you know the the corporations and the 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 big banks and all and I think she does but I don't think we need to settle for uh, Someone to just go in and clean house. I think it does need to be a complete just everything needs to burn to the ground <laughs> Metaphorically, but you know we already saw it happen literally too, and I think it's a, a good thing. So,
1: One more thing. We are, we're talking about spring and things warming up before. And just for listeners, we're recording this interview on the 2nd of April. It'll probably be published in a week or two. Uh, you also talked about burnout and how people have to step back and stuff. Do you have any recommendations on how people can deal with burnout without fully stepping back from stuff or some things that you were using on that front?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I can't speak for everyone, but the source of my burnout actually happened to be uh, the kind of bubble that activism can become of people and personalities in conflict with each other. So I I approach activism less as like this, um, I think it used to feel a little more socially engaging. And at this point I I let myself kind of just be there as part of the crowd. I sort of meld into the crowd. I, I sort of see myself as a, a presence of support and amplification and I think that has kind of removed the burnout element for me because when I go to a march, when I go to a protest, when I go to any kind of action, I, I'm seeing myself as not separate from the other people and also not, you know, not like... I don't know it, it, it how to explain it actually. it's It's kind of like I stopped seeing the individualistic kind of element of like engaging one-on-one with Different personalities and see everyone as this collective and I feel this kind of energy that soars through People engaged in this kind of movement and I think it's tuning into my own senses and my own like Perception of that energy is kind of what has helped me that being said, you know, you go to enough um, Really somber things you're gonna get emotionally drained. You're gonna get you know, I'm feeling kind of emotionally drained this week with the the Chauvin trial, right, right. I'm 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 taking time to um, focus more on com- the community itself rather than the the trial. You know, I, I follow the trial. I'm 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 watching some key testimonies, but I'm also trying to step back and look at the the broader. You know, you go pay a, pay a visit to George Floyd Square. When you go there, I think you feel you feel the possibilities actually live being lived out. Of how uh, our society could actually function and what community could look like. Right. And um, I think so to make a long story short, I think focusing on on community and and really what it means to be part of a community is, is, is a good burnout tool. I mean, I could offer self-care tips, but you know we all see plenty of those everywhere. <laughs> I think I think there's a point where you have to start to like deconstruct how you're seeing what you're doing And I'm speaking more for white folks than anyone, you know I This is to me a distinctive thing that a lot of white people probably come up against is maybe similar to what I was describing of like it, basically we, We've got to learn to step step back and absorb do more absorbing than uh, anything else right now and Amplifying, and that you know, to me, I don't feel like I could get so burned out on doing that. Um, it wouldn't be fair or just if I did. I think so. Yeah, it's about balancing, you know, your your sense of um, your your kind of role in in a social justice movement with literally just paying attention to your own emotional states and and going from
1: there. Yeah, this has been a great interview. Is there anything else that you want to share, or anything else that you want to plug right now, Lacy? Yeah, board,
3: board. yeah. I want to I want to encourage people to get out to these marches, get out to the rallies, get out to George Floyd Square, stand with the community. Go, go. Don't just go um, spectate. Go to a meeting at at George Floyd Square. They have two per day. Um, you know, they, they have a campfire, and you know, you, you learn a lot. You're gonna really learn a lot, and engage a lot with this community that um, I think is really important to be part of.
1: What time are the meetings?
3: I wanna say 8.30 or 8 or 8.30 and 7.30 p.m. So okay, it's okay. morning and evening. I You might be able to find information like at um, I don't even know where to direct you. Uh, thirty, you know, thirty eighth in Chicago. GFS
1: is on Instagram. Just, just go there. The best way to find out is just go there.
3: Just That's go perfect. there. That's to be honest, that is the best approach. <laughs> also, we gotta we gotta up the uh, up the ante. To use a weird phrase that I never really have understood what it means. Uh, we we've got to get up. We got to get more people up to to support right, right. this pipeline movement and stop this destructive treaty breaking uh cash cow from basically destroying some of the most pristine uh lands and also disrupting and just steamrolling indigenous rights we need people up there to to stand with the water protectors who have been up there braving the elements braving a harsh winter um all you know for months now uh the least we can do is take a two-hour car ride up to Palisade and, and stand with them. Um,
1: right, right. And so that's a, that's, a good, that's, that's a good segue um, because I was I was going to say that for everyone listening, we'll be hearing from Lacey more on future episodes of Socialist News and Views, and uh, she'll likely be bringing us more reports and updates from movements on the ground in the near future, especially the, the uh, uh, Stop Line 3 protests.
3: Yeah, that would be, that'd be great.
1: Thanks for speaking with me today, Lacey. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> well Some folks are gonna get that notion. Coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis, this has been Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.